0: Like I'm sure there's plenty of hotheads this. So
1: the following
0: is a fan off production.
1: hello everyone here we are again this is eerie international episode 370 i am andy from germany
2: i'm dave from the uk yo
0: uh <laughs> i'm david from the us sorry there's i i have my windows open in my office and there are two birds beating the shit out of each other in a tree across the street <laughs> you love to see it <laughs> Right when you guys started, I was so fascinated by it that I forgot we were recording. Uh, hello, Dave from the U.S. Sorry. David from the U.S. Sorry about that. <laughs> birds beating the crap out of each other. The it's things, strange. Things like I I, I guess to clarify, that's not normally a thing that I see in Indiana. But I mean, yeah, I, there's some I, birds across the street in the tree and two of them were just pissed. Every, <laughs> every were, now and, uh, and then. They hated each
2: other. Every now and then I, I have a lot of trees outside my window. And um, every now and then you'll see a couple Every now of, and then? Yeah. They disappear and come back? Yeah, yeah, um pigeons. <laughs> pigeons are great for this, right? So I thought that they were having a fight and then I looked a bit closer and I realized, oh no, that's the very opposite of a fight. Like these, oh, yeah. these two are getting it on. Yeah. <laughs> Let me play some Barry White for him get him in a the viper mood. orgasm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it does look very similar. Uh, you know, flapping wings and open mouths and all that kind of stuff but Well, that...
0: I don't know enough birds enough about birds to not say that they weren't fucking across the street <laughs> instead of fighting so I'll leave that up to our Who knows? What, What's a bird enthusiast? Like ornithologist, ornithologist or something? Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. yeah okay.
2: In this case they're hornithologists though. <laughs> Correct. Wow. <laughs> this is a whole start. Back. Andy, please take back over.
1: <laughs> well, hopefully you're not new to Erie International because if you are <laughs> Welcome. Couldn't get better than this. You're never leaving. <laughs> <laughs> in theory, we are a horror podcast. We mostly talk about horror movies. Sometimes we talk about birds doing things across the street in trees. We had a pigeon on our balcony today, but it was a soul pigeon. There was neither fucking nor fighting going on. A soul on.
2: pigeon? <laughs> well, Yeah, I,
1: I 100% heard it the same way Dave did.
2: <laughs> It was a lot more mystical than you meant it, I think. And then another bird came along with a cape and threw it on his back, and then he staggered (laughs) around for a bit, and he was like, No, I'm back! (laughs) Sorry, I will stop derailing this show soon.
1: I'm German. The pigeon was alone. That's what I wanted to say. Oh! (laughs) You have a better
2: command of the English language than we do. That's the problem, Andy. You're using words we wouldn't even contemplate. Uh,
1: Yeah, I use more complicated words than necessary, and (laughs) maybe more... um, see words who needs them <laughs> uh, I, I just i English, understood what you English said words, i just like really that are not probably uh, appropriate in the sentences that i want to string together um, horror you, uh, movies we watched you nailed willy nilly there so props <laughs> on that <laughs> sounds also horny <laughs> this is the last episode of silent march uh maybe we all should have been silent for these past three minutes or whatever <laughs> <No>. um, <laughs> today our main topic is arguably a movie it is a movie uh from japan <laughs> from 1926 <laughs> called a page of madness i'm just looking at a, a paper in front of me that says triangle of sadness maybe that's the du- double feature pick I haven't, the seen sequel, I, of, yeah. I haven't seen yeah. triangle of sadness <laughs> yet so that's not the Double feature pick. Anyway, it's called A Page of Madness, just like these few minutes. Um, and maybe the rest of the episode. Who knows? It's a weird day, probably because of daylight savings uh, in Europe. So Dave and I are timey-wimey uh, out of our minds, it seems. <laughs> and David is just David. So. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> Page of Madness, 1926 Japan, the last um, movie in our Silent March series, the fourth silent movie that we've discussed, or that we discuss in uh, in March 2023, uh, the year of our Lord, who knows? <sighs> how, how do we ray this in? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we are a horror movie podcast in theory. We are on social media, Erie International on Instagram and Facebook at EerieINT on Twitter. And we have an email address, International at gmail.com. As mentioned last week, we still owe you bits of an email <laughs> that we did get last week because our friend Elio did send us two emails and parts of that second email um, are about... Today's movie and and the whole Silent March series. So we kept those paragraphs to read today, which I will just do now. So we um, (laughs) back to right in the middle of his uh, email from last week. He says, a page of madness was also great. I had to look up the plot to figure out what was going on, but to see uh, some of this stuff so early on in history and seeing its impact on modern film was crazy. There were some great effects and just moving moments. I couldn't believe I could make such parallels to modern movies through something released over a hundred years ago. Uh, Under a hundred years. Yeah, it's under a hundred years. (laughs) I am a pedant. So, and uh, then he has a question for us. Here is my question for you. What has been your major takeaway or something you learned from watching these old horror films? Has watching these old movies left you appreciating anything about horror as a genre? So, of course, we haven't discussed A Page of Madness yet, but still, I think we can uh, answer Elia's question. And and yeah, Yeah, I don't know. Did you guys come up with any conclusions after watching these four silent horror films david
0: um i think i think this was a conclusion i probably reached all the way back on cabinet of dr caligari um in terms of of silent film and horror but it was even more like solidified here even with the movies that i i liked less than others etc um and i don't know maybe it's obvious maybe it's just because i'm I've gotten older and I'm, I'm able to kind of appreciate a broader thing, a broader spectrum of stuff than I was when I was younger, but the amount of atmosphere that you turn on, um, it's, it, it's, it's irrelevant that these movies are silent. They're still able to achieve a level of, of atmosphere and of a feeling and a tone. Um, and just as well as the stuff we have today, if not arguably better, I think in, in some ways, um, obviously that can, change depending on what score is used everything else but even beyond that if we were just to look at this stuff as just purely silent films with no sound whatsoever um you are getting like a massive sort of like tone vibe universe with something like the phantom carriage it has a look to it it has a feel to it the dial like everything about it um that i think that's the thing that i've been so surprised by all these movies again even the ones that i haven't liked as much is that uh, with, with so much less, they're still able to produce, um, a feeling that I think, I don't know. I could be cynical and say nowadays that's in very short supply. I, I, I don't even know that that's cynical. That might just be true. Um, the amount of movies that we have now that are just sort of, you know, standard out kind of, um, things in, in all genres, but being able to strike that tone. I, I in the past I've mentioned specifically with David Lynch, how he's able sometimes to, to film things and to create things on screen <clears throat> that feel like they're from another planet. And I don't mean specifically like sci-fi or alien looking or anything like that, um, but just the atmosphere and the vibe is, is just so different. It feels like you're seeing something that you shouldn't be seeing or that's from someplace else that you don't normally have access to. I think that is uh, difficult to achieve across the board, but the fact that so many of these films, um, arguably all of them, were able to do that and pull me in and make me feel a certain way, um, good or bad, I think was the biggest thing in terms of specifically horror, because so much of horror is, is that too, is atmosphere and, and getting kind of under your skin or making you go into a certain headspace. And, um, you know, movies like Hereditary or It Follows, I mean, those can be divisive, but if nothing else, people know, like there's a feeling in those movies, there's a, an atmosphere um, and a tone that's been set and that's maintained throughout the entire thing. And the fact that these older movies were able to do that so well, so strongly, um, I, I really loved. It got me excited almost every week.
2: <laughs> Not every week. <laughs> Dave. <laughs> um I mean, I can't I can't really uh I can't really compare to what you've said there. Um I'm I'm gonna take the lowbrow approach. Uh it's it it's definitely taught me that um I hate Swedish movie. Um, I'm only kidding, I, I don't I had one movie that I wasn't too fond of the other one I actually quite liked uh, but I, I think the the main thing that I took away from watching these films and I was kind of dimly aware of it anyway but this really reinforced the fact that I, I think that a lot of good storytelling can be done purely through either environmental uh, storytelling or um, the way that people portray themselves on screen physically um, but at the same time, some of these films did impress on me the fact that a good script is definitely necessary as well. That you can't tell an entire story just through acting silently on screen. Like there there is so the old saying is a picture tells a thousand words. Sometimes. Um there are some words that you can't really convey <laughs> uh through through a picture and you need the word. Uh, There's a whole reason that we went from pictograms to actual language, Um, but that being said, like, yeah, I I think that the strength of a lot of these films was that they were able to really tell a lot of what they were trying, uh, the story they were trying to tell, just through what you were seeing on screen. Um, Going back to the penalty, um, I, I think that. That was probably my favourite of the bunch just for, I mean, Lon Chaney, obviously. Um, but also the fact that there it wasn't oversaturated with, uh, with cue cards telling us what they were saying. There was an awful lot of acting that told the story and we could tell what they were saying to each other or at least the emotion that was going uh, f- through their minds when they were talking to each other. Um, and it didn 't feel the need to overburden you with uh, with with uh, speech cards on the other hand, there are some movies which really could have done with a few more and in one in particular could have done with any whatsoever uh, <laughs> <laughs> we 'll get there um, but yeah i i i don 't think it 's a one size fits all I, I think you know we, we've we 've had this conversation last week about the length of movies and i 'm not going to go back into that but You know, there are some movies that you can watch for three hours and you'll be thoroughly entertained and your bum won't go to sleep at all. And there are other movies that outstay their welcome after an hour and a half. Um, And in the same way, I think there are films that can do an awful lot with very little dialogue. And that there are some movies out there that can really use the dialogue a lot more than they think they can get away with. So... Overall, I think that was my main takeaway: was the uh, the fact that an awful lot of storytelling can be told just through good acting, um, and also these silent movies, like the soundtracks, were very important to my enjoyment of them. Uh, yeah. Again, to go back to the penalty, although I only spent ten minutes on the synth soundtrack of that movie, uh, I much I found much more enjoyment watching the film with. Um, a soundtrack which sounded of its time um and did and it wasn't like you know beat for beat uh soundtrack r- recording kind of stuff where that you know they they match everything up perfectly but they at least tried to make sure that the next song coming up was the the right kind of mood for what was going to be going on underneath it um and so that made a huge difference and i've not really been one to talk about soundtracks In a lot of things that I've reviewed over time, whether it be here or whether it be on Generation Animation, it tends to be, you know, oh, I love the title track, I love the intro track and the outro track for this thing, but the actual soundtrack during the movie or TV show that I'm watching, I don't really notice it because it tends to just blend into the background and become part of the overall experience. I can't separate those things out um, in, in the same way that other people can. I just kind of take it all in as one experience and then... I tend to focus on the acting or the uh, the dialogue or, or stuff like that rather than than the music. But it, it reinforced to me that the importance of a good soundtrack is is tantamount to a film being good because you can really ruin a film experience with the wrong soundtrack, and you can enhance oh, yeah. it so much with the right one. So. Um, I'm going to stop talking now, because that's mainly what I came away with. Um, that and my pathological dislike of Swedish drama. Um, <clears throat> which I'll probably ride that horse for a couple of weeks, and then I'll drop off. But yeah, Andy, what about you?
1: In April, we'll do an Ingmar Bergman series on your international. Hell Surprise yeah. yeah. Dave. <laughs> so, yeah, I... I Uh, very much enjoyed this month, uh, of course, because I initiated it. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to watch more silent movies. Um, We've done a few in the past to different results. Kaligari we very much liked and we were pretty disappointed by the um, silent version of um, The Phantom of the Opera. And I believe mainly because we thought Phantom of the Opera wasn't as visually engaging as other silent movies um in particular Caligari and I think with the ones that we chose this month we th- I think all of them were were visually engaging and that was something that I was definitely looking yep. for in watching more silent movies because um with the invention of synchronized sound the I think the, the focus in, in movie storytelling shifted from the image to the word and that is something that we are used to now and have been used to for the majority of film history at this point and I believe that um, at that point in the 1920s to t- 1930s when industry switched from silent to sound movies since then took a more literary approach in the sense that now uh, we are at a at a point where as as dave mentioned we expect a good story and a good script and a good plot and and that is something that i've steered away in the past years, more and more, and I've th- mentioned that on the show on several occasions that I care less and less about plot. And of course, not with every movie. There's movies where I enjoy a good dialogue and a good story and a, an intricate plot and, and stuff like that. But I also enjoy movies that are visually engaging where I don't necessarily understand everything about the plot, or maybe the plot isn't even as much the focus of the movie and we all remember our episode on upstream color where i talked about comparing the the, mu- the the movie experience with listening to music where the visuals and the sound created something in my mind or or uh, created certain emotions or whatever without me being able to summarize a plot after having seen the movie but i still had a an engaging experience with the movie, and that's something that I enjoy about um, these these silent movies. Um, that are where I focus more on the the, the the creation of the image, the presentation of the image, the, the mise en scène, the, the the movement of camera, um, the, the the specific style of acting that I believe you probably have to get used to. Um, if you've never seen silent movies but i think you can learn to enjoy that style and that is something that i that i'm looking for so um, D- dave like two weeks ago or so said that something like don't know the don't remember the exact phrase or something like that the most important part of a movie is, is a good story or something of <laughs> like, the script or something like that and that, as i said i think that's true for some movies but for me it's t- not true for every movie um, I, I think that there's a there's a um, you, you can enjoy movies the way that you can enjoy for example like um, instrumental music because no one ever mm-hmm. talks. That, that's something that a, a discussion that I at some point want to have with someone. And I don't think this is the. <laughs> maybe it is the forum for the for the discussion. I don't know. But I've never heard anyone say, "Well, that song should have been longer." I don't think they explored the characters enough uh, in those <laughs> lyrics, and I um, or or something like ah that that story sh- really that song really should get a sequel. I want to know more about that story <laughs> yeah. because the, the, the story the characters are, in general, not the focus of the music. Of course, you have your songwriters that are very lyrical and and that that are... I mean, Bob Dylan did get a Nobel Prize for literature for for his lyrics and stuff like that. But in general, I guess people usually enjoy the music more than they enjoy the lyrics. And that is something that I try to apply for movies as well, where I want... I I would like to see movies that present me some something more than I can read in a book or in a Wikipedia summary. They that present me uh, images and and music or sound design that evoke emotions that I don't know create pictures in my head, um, and and that is something I think that silent movies were. Um, on their best way to mastering and then sound came in. <laughs> and yeah. and, uh, and we kind of lost that. And of course, David mentioned David Lynch uh, and then of course there's other directors as well that do something like that, that create images that tell you more than just words would tell you. But you cannot really pinpoint what they tell you necessarily and it is different for each person maybe because you can't argue when someone says well that song uh, brings me to tears it's so emotional for me and another person would say well it does nothing for me and both (laughs) are valid (laughs) Mm. um and that is what makes it so hard to talk to to, i mean try to write about music and and, or try to talk about what does a a certain kind of movie to you where another one would say i don't know didn't care for the story didn't care for the characters and you say well fuck the characters i love the what the images did to me but you cannot really put into words what that is so yeah yeah
0: Yeah, i that's that's pretty interesting i've never thought about it that way and i um I'm going to try to start applying that more often with movies in terms of especially ones where I have a, a more difficult, uh, experience. Um, and so shifting my headspace into like, okay, I'm, I'm so applying. And, and I think like what you said, I think it all just basically goes to like, we have, we have templates for how, um, movies are made. We have, you know, those templates have changed over time, but there's always been some sort of template at least from, a a studio perspective or a handful of templates that they use to make the movies. And so we are used to three act structure. We're used to, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, some sort of climax in the third act. We're used to, uh, characters, you know, having arcs. We're used to conflict. We're used to, you know, love trying. There's all these things that basically things just sort of slot into. And if it doesn't, um, have a satisfying, um, sort of conclusion or arc or story or whatever, then, Yeah, I think that I think sometimes it's pretty fair and I'm sure you would agree that um, it's because it's a sign of something that's maybe not that well made or whatever else. But there's absolutely. um, And in fact, I one of the things I watched this week, um, I'll 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 dip into that for just a second. I've brought it up on the show multiple times in the past, but uh, there's a short film by Anthony Scott Burns in the holidays anthology called um, Father's Day. And I brought it up before long-term listeners have heard me say this a million times, but uh, it's one of my favorite short horror films I've seen. And I showed it to uh, our friend Austin this past week. He was over at my house. And so much of that is exactly what you're describing. There's a story, there are characters, um, but it's a short film and it's very simplistic. The reason I get pulled into it is because of all of the techniques that are going on. It's because of the score. It's because of um, <clears throat> there's audio that's going parallel to what you're seeing in the present that was recorded in the past. Um, so your mind is filling in images that aren't even on screen that are not happening simultaneously, but they're filmed and structured in a way that it, it, it's supposed to see, sort of feel that way. Um, <clears throat> but ultimately at the end of the day, I mean, the story spoilers is, uh, a girl who hears from her dad and he disappeared when she was a kid. And it sounds like maybe he joined a cosmic, um, Cosmic sort of Lovecraftian kind of cult or something. That's the whole story. But when you're watching it, the vibe, the feeling, I keep using the word vibe like a nice millennial, but it's it's also strong and it's it is more akin to me enjoying like a, you know, like a a dense sort of piece of like, I don't know, I'm trying to find an analog here, Um, a track off of Ghosts one through four by Nine Inch Nails or what that eventually became. Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross sort of collaborations where they're not traditional songs. You're not going to hear, you know, a chorus and verses or in pretty much all cases, for the most part, you're not going to hear any vocals at all. Um, But there still is storytelling. There's still sort of things that I associate. A lot of times I end up associating those things with images that people pair in movies, um, which I think is is part of the problem (laughs) in some ways with what you're talking about is because we're. <clears throat> you know, immediately sort of marrying the two things and not keeping them as as separate. But I think that it it definitely, I, I in my opinion, strengthens your point even further because there are these things. Under the skin, I picked one week. That's another one. Very simple story. I mean, you can write it out in three sentences probably. Hmm. But the the way that movie makes me feel, um, the way the audio makes me feel on its own, when I look, you know, sometimes I'll listen to the score when I work. Um, moments that I can think about images that I can think about in that and immediately get transported back to how I feel watching it. Um, And that same sort of feeling that's a, it's a rare thing. Um, But I also think to your point Andy, it's something that we probably can all experience more often um, when we're able to sort of shift our heads out of viewing everything as, you know, okay, let me measure this by, the same rubric that in, in which I measure everything else, um, and yeah, yeah, you, I, you've I like defi-
2: that. You've definitely got a great point there. But what I would like to uh, to to add is that although movies like uh, Under the Skin, for example, are a, a great example of what you're talking about there, I think that. Even if you shift your headspace to a point where you're just like "I'm just going to appreciate like the you know the the images that they've put on the screen or whatever," you do also have to weigh that against the intention of the filmmaker to begin with so under the skin was meant to be more about the experience you know on on screen It's a very simplistic story, like you said for me personally i I love that film and I really enjoyed just kind of sinking into it, no pun intended. And just, you know, just enjoying the experience. But I went to watch The Lighthouse and I was just like, this this is fucking over-pretentious bullshit. And <laughs> I could tell that his intention was to make this kind of like this huge, sprawling kind of <laughs> masterpiece sure. about mental health was, or something. You and,
0: saw at Lighthouse how I hear R.E.M. Yeah. R.E.M.'s a very popular band, but every time I hear R.E.M., I'm just like, oh, there, there's nothing inside of me that resonates with it yeah (laughs) and And, and and it's, it's not because it's bad it's just not my thing
2: and it's not even necessarily because of the actual intention of the filmmaker it's almost perceived intention you know, because mm. there are some films that don't really dress it up as as being like, oh well, I'm I'm very intelligent in art house, and you're going to enjoy this on a on, on an intellectual level rather than a movie going level. You know, like, um right. And and maybe that's again about headspace and coming at it from a different angle. I don't know, because I know there's an awful lot of people that really enjoyed the Lighthouse, and I just saw it as an excuse for them to get some Willem Dafoe to fuck a, a high wattage bulb. Um, in in the third act of their movie, I'm just like, okay, fine, <laughs> whatever. Um, Every time you talk about this movie, it just makes me want to see it more and more. I'm sure I describe it in ways that make it more fun than my actual experience with it, uh and maybe that's me trying to convince myself that it's better than it actually is. I know I'm in the minority on that movie, but I I, I feel the way I feel about it. That's yeah, not well, a- to that's your
0: entire point yeah yeah
2: yeah. um so yeah i I do think that there is um that that kind of uh, caveat which is that although you can definitely shift your head into a a different place and uh try and experience something from a position that you wouldn't normally you do have to give yourself that out of maybe i just don't like it and it's not my fault and i've tried shifting my perception but i still can't get into it and that's equally okay you can just not like something just as much as you can oh, totally. totally moved by something. I, like, I, I watched the, uh, the latest episode of, of Star Trek Picard on Friday, and there are some people that will sit there and they'll watch it, and they'll be like, eh, fine. I had a fucking lump in my throat for parts of that because of certain things that they did. I'm not going to mention specifics because there may be people that are listening to this that want to but binge-watch it at the end of the season or something. I don't want to ruin it for them. But there are certain Easter eggs and callbacks that they threw into that episode, which very nearly had me blubbing like a small child. And a lot of other people would just be like, fucking grow up, dude. What the fuck are you crying over this for? Like, this is... It's it's literally a a hunk of steel or, you know, or a a, a bit of fluff or something. And I'm just like, nobody's what it means to me, damn it. (laughs) So... It's completely up to your, your life experience. As we often say, you know, mileage will vary. And um, I don't know. I just wanted to throw that in there. Totally. There's
1: two more things that I wanted to mention. Um, first thing about movie criticism. Criticism is mostly a, a written form or we talk about movies. We use words. Mm to talk about experience with movies and therefore that's the easiest thing is to talk about the words in a movie about the story and that's something that we know how to do that is something that people can read and understand it's very tough to describe in a written word or in, in, in a spoken word um, the the impact of moving images mm. uh, and that brings me to my second point where I would like to come to a point and maybe that's very pretentious i don't know, but and I, and I would like for people who who listen to this, maybe take that away with them and try to apply that in in their movie watching and to and to stay with the with the music analogy when when someone tells you about a band, you usually don't ask what do they sing about? You ask what do they sound like, and I would yeah. like for us to get. To something similar with movies, where you don't ask what what's the movie about, but something like what does it look like, how does it use images, what does the camera do, something like that. I'm I'm not entirely sure what the equivalent would be, but to to talk about the 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 elements that make cinema um, <coughs> different from from other media and not necessarily only what's it about just like with a with a book what's the story um Mm. but i know that most people watch movies like they would read a book where it is about the story and the characters and the dialogue and that's totally fine Uh, and and we movies cinema is still a relatively young medium so we none of us are (laughs) entirely cinema literate in the way that we that you could talk to, to anyone um, uh, in your neighborhood or your, your friends or your family, and you could talk about camera movements and cameramen or, or whatever All and, right. and um, bring up comparisons. Yeah, well, here in this scene, they do something and, and refer to a page of madness from 1926 Japan or something like that. We, we can't <laughs> do that. But it's it's easier with pop music to just say, oh, well, such and such has a new record out and it's vaguely in the vein of this... Uh, musical movement, yeah. uh, got a song young female pop song singer, song or song what, or whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> and but I, I, yeah, I, I would like for people to talk about movies the way they they talk about music, where it's not about the story but about the yeah genre, uh, the 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 medium specific elements of the thing.
2: Yeah, I don't know. If I think that's...
0: it's go, go ahead. Go. Well, I was just going to say to tag on that point. I think it's also one of those things too that at least for me it helps me <clears throat> if I'm con if I'm confused by a movie in a way that I can tell, isn't the movie's fault, if that makes sense. So like, if it's, if it's not because I'm just totally lost because it's poorly written or whatever else, um, that's usually the little sort of like spider sense. I get that maybe there's something deeper happening, uh, and I might need to work a little harder. Um, the, the movie that I always think about is in that regard is when, um, Andy, you and Bianca visited and we all watched, mm-hmm. uh, pulse, um, Japanese horror film and we had kind of all had a similar reaction well not Amanda because she hates horror movies and it was also not even in English so she probably had a terrible time <laughs> but the, for you and me and Bianca we all kind of got to the same place at the end which was like I don't totally know what happened in this but there was something about it Um, and I remember us watching some special features and uh, Simon Barrett and I, is it Adam Wingard as well I can't remember now I think it's I both think of them so. yeah um, they kind of say the same thing. <laughs> it was just yeah. this sort of like, yeah, I, I don't know that I'd be able to tell you exactly what happens in this movie, but these scenes, these, these moments, the way it feels. um, And it was sort of validation for all of us of like, okay, we're not like, we're not crazy. There's something here. There's something <laughs> going on. Um, And it's been a movie that stayed in my head ever since because it was, it was a similar thing where we all, we all kind of heard this song and, it was unlike anything we'd all heard before. Right. Um, but then there was this part in All of Us, I think, that was just kind of like, you know, there, there's something to dig into deeper, I think. Um, and and are... But like you said, not in a narrative sense. I, I don't think that that's a movie that you have to crack. Um, but it is something that's it's deeper than what the premise is. Um, they do more with the like you said, the mise en scene, the the. The visuals, the score, um, to pull you in and make you feel more than just, uh, hey, it's computers killing people, which the movie could have been and is is not.
1: <laughs> Those are often the most interesting movies because, you, as you described, you, you're sitting there and you're thinking, I don't understand it. I want to know more. I want to find out yeah. why I don't understand it. And mm-hmm. that is a sign of... I've seen something that I've haven't seen before. This is exciting. Yeah. This is new. I've seen hundreds of movies, but this movie did something to me that I can't quite grasp. I can't just compare it to. Well, it's it's like this, and it's it's just more of the same. I enjoyed it. I I enjoy those types of movies. I've seen dozens of of them, and I've enjoyed this one too. So, but no this one is different I haven't seen anything like this but it excited me in, in, in some way that I can't really grasp mm-hmm. and, and yeah those are the, the movies that really stick with you
2: but that excitement is the important part and maybe right. that's where i where i was lacking the the words or or mm-hmm. the the thought to really describe it but you know watching a movie like versus which when you mentioned pulse i was just, and we were talking about that i was just like that sounds an awful lot like my experience with versus back in the day which is like a 2000 japanese movie hell yeah um, i love that movie <laughs> absolutely fucking bonkers and i yeah. loved it but i could not tell you what it was about except for people fighting um and yep. and you know you need that excitement you need mm-hmm. it, it's all very well to, to go and watch a film and be like I don't understand it and now I'm going to dig into it but what was key what you said there Andy was the excitement of, of wanting to dig into it yeah. and maybe that's what I was lacking from a film like The Lighthouse or like I wasn't really paying attention to it when I watched it and it was so long ago since I last did but like coffee and cigarettes it was just like Okay, well, there's a short, and here's another one, and they're just sitting and smoking and drinking coffee. And I don't do either of those things, so I have no excitement for any of this. Yeah. Um, I went to watch it because I liked the white stripes at the time, and they were <laughs> they were in one of the shorts, and I think that was the main yeah. reason I went to watch it. I think that's why it did a lot of business. To be fair, um, I, but you need. I the think these also end up being the kinds of movies that we see
0: later and have different experiences
2: with. I, I own it on DVD. A... I'm going to rewatch it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, and, and I, I didn't even mean for you with that one specifically, but that definitely applies too. like, mm, mm. just the the stuff that we see later, and we're like, man, I remember being really bored by this, or <laughs> I, I was not into this at all, and for whatever reason now, it is just, you know, hitting me on every single level, and, mm. and there's, uh, I, Austin and I talk pretty often about how when we went and saw, I'm, I'm sure we've talked with you guys about it too, or I've told you guys, when we went and saw Mad Max Fury Road, Um oh opening weekend very anticipated we were excited about it all the trailers looked crazy i mean you guys remember when it came out it was a exciting exciting release um and we walked out of the theater liking it but also it wasn't we didn't feel underwhelmed i think it was almost that we were overstimulated it was it was too much Mm -hmm. it was it was and not even in a everything everywhere all at once sort of way not a maximalism way necessarily although it does have that Uh, But just in terms of kind of what you said before, Andy, like we hadn't really seen a movie like that before. We'd seen movies like it. We'd seen other Mad Max movies. We'd seen other, you know, movies with stunts and everything else. But uh, it was almost like my my brain was so fixated on putting it into all of the different templates and trying to figure out, okay, how does it compare to this? And how does the action here and then also getting like caught up in, well, you know, Max has the. Uh, the thing that the feral child has from Road Warrior, how does this fit in, like to the universe and everything else? And I think it was ultimately just because it was, it was. I just couldn't. I needed to see it more. I needed more time with it. And it, it's a strange movie to pick too, because obviously that's an outlier. I think we all kind of agree that's one of the you know greatest action movies of all time. But that's there. There was something there as well to where I, I've mentioned other movies that's happened with me before on Inglorious Bastards, Drive. Where I watched these movies in the theaters, and I liked them, but there was also part of me that was like, "Did I? I, I did I miss? I couldn't put my finger on what it was, but I think ultimately, in retrospect, it was just you got to spend more time with this thing, man. <laughs> there's there's more in here that is is obviously pulling at you. Um, it, it's it's you know hitting different things in your nervous system and in your brain and everything else. You're not going to get everything you need out of it in one pass. Mm. Um, it, it's going to be something that Will be rewarding and will have more depth, and um, and it might be things you know as straightforward and specific as you know great dialogue, or I really like you know this shot or whatever else. But it might be stuff as as small as um, there's something about the way I feel in Django Unchained, to use another Tarantino movie, mm-hmm. where Schultz uh, takes Django into the bar. They get to the first sort of town, he ends up killing the sheriff to get the bounty, that's kind of when he explains to Django what he does and how it works and all that and they're in the bar by themselves and Schultz goes over to the to the the tap pours himself a beer, pours both of them beer, huge like foamy head on it uses that like wooden paddle to scrape the foam off the top, oh, yeah. it's probably like a, a ten second moment in the movie and I think about it pretty regularly, <laughs> compared to other things in in my life that I should probably think about more. Uh, this one random shot in Django, there's there's just something about it. Completely silent too. It's literally just this dude pouring beers and getting them ready. It's
2: just decompression, um, isn't it? It's like you, you've had that. Action I guess and now yeah. It's I, just
0: like here's a quiet moment. Sure, and and but also maybe just maybe for me, it's one of those things where it it hits a note that's deeper, and it's just the way all of this looks together makes me feel in this very specific way Mm. that to your guys' points from before, you know, to other people would be like, this part's stupid. (laughs) You know, why do we waste time looking at this beer? (laughs) But that's the subjectivity of how art's going to make us feel. Right. So it's the same thing as, um, you know, me not liking REM or me really connecting with another band on a level that is impossible to put into words because it's just hitting me and connecting with everything that I am, and that's so specific. This is a very <laughs> heady conversation for us. We to started talking about something.
2: silent movies. We've ended on Mad Max and REM. It's very strange.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's a it's a perfect throughline, though. Like, it is. I think that's why it's so interesting is that it's it's still. I mean, there's <laughs> to use Mad Max again. There's so much silent film influence on that, even down to like Buster Keaton and and. Mm. You know, techniques that came out later. Like there's there's sequences in the movie toward the beginning that are completely silent and, and sped up and and sort of in this old Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I need to dig more into this. I'm gonna write a thesis I, about I, I, Mad I can Max give you and a, a, film.
1: I can give you a serious connection uh, between Silent March and Mad Max Ma- Fury Road because I've thought about Fury Road quite a bit recently, and that's a movie I was shaking with excitement in that movie. So I for me it mm. was not I a movie where I had that Experience that you had where you said, I have to see it again before it really unfolds for me. I haven't seen it since that one time in the cinema. Oh, wow. still. <laughs> but in that cinema, I was shaking with yeah. excitement. One of the best experiences I've ever had. And watching Babylon this year in January mm. and having that feeling again, I thought, when was the last time that I felt um, in a theater like this? And definitely fury road there may have been one or two between fury road and babylon but the first one that came to mind where i had that feeling was was fury road and yeah. babylon of course led to us doing um doing silent march and i've recently read a review of babylon people there's people that really utterly hate that movie and will it's very outright divisive. state this is a bad movie not something like <laughs> right. this isn't for me some people may like it people movie critics that are paid to do this. Say, this is a bad movie. And then there's (laughs) other people that really like it. And then there's me who was completely blown away by it in in the cinema. And getting back to um, the thing that I said about um, people should pay more attention to what movies do visually and and talk about that more so than or at least on par with plot and and, and story and things like that. That, of course, it's, it's easier said than done. Of course, that requires a certain amount of, of learning and studying and even just paying attention. And and people maybe even point you towards what you can pay attention to. That is something that we, especially our generation, I believe, learned from, from audio commentaries, from watching audio commentaries and DVDs. When DVDs uh, became the, the, the main medium for movies, yeah. 20, 25 mm-hmm. years ago, um, that was one of the most exciting things to hear um, directors, to hear writers, to hear scholars on audio commentaries and or on um, just on bonus features. There's one bonus feature from frailty that I still think about regularly, where I'm not entirely sure if it was the cameraman or the director, Bill Paxton, or um, bill Paxton directed that one right am I correct mm-hmm. or am I? Yeah, yeah yeah, so anyway, someone talked about um the a scene in the in a police car um w- whichever character is in in the back of the car and it's it's a kind of police car where they have this 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 like like this mesh between the the back and the front uh, of the car if you know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. um this uh, kind of
0: the divider yeah
1: yeah right and um and, and, and whoever is doing the audio commentary for that scene uh, talks about the positioning of the camera where the camera, at first, the, the character in the back is is filmed through that divider and then at some point the camera switches and is directly with the character in the back. And that's the moment when the the, the character takes over in the scene and gains the upper hand in the scene, oh, wow. which is... Accentuated by the camera being closer, being with the character, and the character not being um, captured behind this divider anymore, but being the main focus in the in the image. And I've I've, I've heard that commentary once. I don't know, twenty five years ago, twenty years ago, whenever, <laughs> whenever that movie, whenever the DVD came out. I regularly think about that because that changed something in my mind. I learned something that from then on I was able to apply to my watching of movies and my interpreting of what does the image tell me about the characters, not only the words of the movie, but that is something that you need to learn so that you can apply it. And most people, of course, don't, don't care about that stuff or don't... Um, learn about that stuff, and that—that's—I I can't blame them for that. But is—that is, that is the point. How I want to talk about movies, and how how I want to listen to people talk about movies. Patrick Willems and David yeah. and I mentioned often. We are big fans of Patrick Williams' um, YouTube essays on movies. Some weeks ago, he released a video, it's like seventy or eighty minutes, on how to interpret movies, and he goes through like everything that you can. Interpret in a movie, story, character, plot, colors, sound, music, camera and stuff like that. And his example is Home Alone. And he goes through Home Alone, through all these elements, um, how you could potentially uh, interpret Home Alone and how you could apply that to other movies. I want everyone to watch that video or some sort of video like that, just to, to, to open something in your brain when you watch movies where you think, I can pay attention to other things than just the story, and I think that enriches your experience with movies. And then, of course, yeah. you you probably you you need to see more movies. So when you want to enjoy silent movies, you need to watch more silent movies and get used to the style of silent movies. And uh, at some point, I've. I've, I've believe we probably all had that experience especially with with getting older um and again back to music at some point you didn't care about jazz and then then at some point you thought wow i've listened to rock music all my life and suddenly jazz becomes interesting and you listen more Mm. to more records and you learn more about it and and you really get into it more than you used to and you, you it it's probably rare that you just watch one silent movie and suddenly you're the biggest silent movie fan of all time. <laughs> but if you watch more of them, uh, and and you learn more about them, you you're probably able to to enjoy them more. But that that's something for freaks, of course. I mean, that's not something for the casual movie watcher that goes to the cinema once a year uh, and and watches the newest Netflix release uh, just because it is on the front page of Netflix.
2: Mm. I was oh. one of the. I, I'm. I'm the annoying uh, guy that will now say I always like jazz, <laughs> but I can. That doesn't <laughs> at all invalidate what you're saying. Like I completely agree. Um, but it's not that. It's especially yeah, the fact that else. you know if if you. You can extend that that and talk about the fact that like um, you go back to rhythm and blues, right? Like you can, uh, you, you might not have been into rhythm and blues, but you might be a rock fan, and then you know to to trace a direct line from the whole for silent cinema into modern day cinema, like you you then realize one day what everyone was saying was true, which was that if there was no R and B, there would be no rock and roll, and if Elvis hadn't have taken all of that shit from the uh, from the black music community and popularised it with his uh, gyrating hips, that there's a good chance, uh, and there's so many more as well, like Buddy Holly and, and Christ knows how many other people that, that did the same around the same sort of time, um, that rock music wouldn't be in, in the form that it is today. Um, and silent film is the same. There's, there's an awful lot of silent movies which will have inspired mod, you know movie makers of the next generation to go out and make their movies, and then sound came along, and it just kept rolling and rolling, like we've talked about uh, Tarantino already on this podcast and he's never backward in coming forward about how much he takes influence from other people. Um, Creed free, which we talked about um, the the other week. uh, We talked about how it was inspired by anime and things like that. Like there's, there's always something which inspires the thing that you like, which you might not in your, in your, in your own right, like, but, it probably is a good idea to go back and visit it because you may finally realize that, oh, actually, these are the merits of this thing and uh, I should have liked it all along and I was just too young and dumb to realize that it was as good as it was.
1: I'd say you can apply the same thing to almost everything where you say the more you um, spend time with something, the more you learn about something, the more you can enjoy it. Drinking wine... Is something that you can learn. Whiskey, smoking cigars, I don't know, riding a bike. The more you do it, the more you might enjoy it. <laughs> the it's better true. you get at it, yeah. the more yeah. you might enjoy it. And it's the same thing uh, goes for watching movies or listening to certain kinds of music or whatever.
2: Yeah, I'm trying that with coffee, but I will never be a wine drinker. So um, <laughs> you See, know. that is that is something that I can speak from from my own experience.
1: I uh, never was a wine drinker. Well, nowadays I don't really I don't drink much alcohol, anyways. But uh, I I started as uh, someone who was like, yeah, well like, sweet white is okay yeah. to, uh, decades later, dry red is my choice. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Tastes do change as well. Yeah, that's, that's good yeah point. of
1: course. Cheese. Well, people, uh, well, I don't know, as, as a child, maybe you didn't <laughs> enjoy cheese or olives or whatever, and then suddenly you do, and you... I don't know, anyway. That was a good discussion. I, uh, fellas.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it was a great discussion. I, I picked up... This isn't really... Um... <clears throat> A point or anything, but just kind of related to the conversation. There was a a Criterion flash sale this past week where they had all their stuff for half off for 24 hours. So uh, Inland Empire, they just released. I wanted to get that. I've still never seen that one. Um, But I I went through the rest and specifically filtered down the silent films. Um, Now that I've got, you know, we've got some momentum with this and everything else. And one that I had totally forgot about that I'd wanted to see for a long time I ended up buying is the the Carl Theodore uh, Dreyer version of, or the film of Passion of Joan of Arc from 1928, which I'd heard lots about um, specifically and seen sort of uh, screenshots and whatnot uh, stills um, because it's uh, I think probably mostly well-known if people know about it for like the extreme close-ups um, that he does throughout the movie and the, the emotion and the acting that's done specifically through that um, for these actors. So that's one that I'm pretty excited to watch as well for, uh, all the reasons that we just described. And then I think sort of almost even taking that to a, a next level of having to say, okay, we're, we're showing very little in the frame, but this, what we are showing in the frame is a human face and the amount that we can emote with that, assuming that the acting is, is good. And I've only ever heard amazing things about, um, what's her name? Renee Jean Falconetti as Joan. Um, yeah even more excited for a lot of the similar things we've talked about trying to sort of kind of really dig into it and 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 feel however it makes me feel but then also I mean even by today's standards that's interesting and different <laughs> you know there there aren't many movies now that you're going to see with that are comprised mostly of close ups of people's faces and um and on top of that it is you know a historical straight up like about the trial of Joan of Arc from the the record so it's not even that it's you know some sort of heightened you know crazy thing although maybe the movie's heightened I'm not sure um That's something that I'm really yeah.
1: sad about at this point um that we, we we still we can have music with and without lyrics but we don't get movies without spoken dialogue anymore Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or... Like the, the one outlier that wins an Oscar because it's the one silent movie that a Frenchman makes, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it doesn't uh, yeah. lead to other people doing the same thing.
2: I was going to say there's yeah. there's one or two examples. I, I don't remember if this is absolutely for certain because I was distracted by the ongoing joke of a man having sex with a turtle, but the red turtle, I think, is <laughs> fairly it's not silent in the truest sense of silent movies because there there is like sound and things like that but there isn't really dialogue outside of people making grunting noises um, that's usually what people focus on now yeah yeah situations like that like
0: there's a jc shandor movie called all is lost with robert redford um i've still never seen it. i've always wanted to I've, I've seen a few of his movies and i've liked them uh shandor not robert redford um but that movie is about him on a boat trying to survive and he's alone <laughs> so uh, there's large yeah. large sections of that movie apparently that are just have no dialogue cuz he's just a dude on a boat the um, opening
1: to um uh, there will be blood what is it 20 minutes without oh uh, yeah that's word right. or whatever I, I don't i haven't yeah. I've, I've never even seen the whole movie but i've seen that opening where it's like I don't yeah. know, 15 to 30 minutes i don't exactly remember how much it is but yeah that's let's 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 get pretentious that's pure cinema (laughs) it's always
0: funny too when there are i I remember when the last jedi came out and there's a scene spoilers for like the best star wars movie ever i don't care don't write in the uh, (laughs) return of skywalker or whatever it's called Is a piece of shit uh in in last jedi uh the moment where um spoilers laura dern uh punches the the hyperspace or whatever yes um completely silent right like Mm in the in the that moment in the film it's in ryan johnson chooses to have it happen in like the vacuum of space so you see this incredibly powerful you know impactful Mm -hmm. thing happen on screen with no sound Mm -hmm. and i remember the theaters having to post signs that say there's a moment in this movie when there's no sound don't come tell us about it it's not broken Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. just the sort of like sad Polarity that that's where we're at that somebody's like the sound cut out for two seconds surely this has to be a mistake yeah. um well, we're, we're not used to this sort of stuff anymore if, at all
2: if, if they had learned from previous sci-fi movies that tried to educate people on sound and space they would have realized that not only in space can you not hear anyone scream but you also can't hear anyone jumping into hyperspace and taking an imperial yeah. cruiser yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: alfonso uh <laughs> Quarone when he made Gravity, I remember that there was discuss- that he had had Such discussions early on, yeah, yeah, about doing it with no sound. You know, having when when they're in space, when mm-hmm. when she's inside the station or whatever. You know, that it would, would have change. made but, the dialogue with George
2: Clooney more difficult for certain.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. But the uh, um, it was I, I don't remember if it was the studio or if it was them, but somebody was like, we can't do this. The audience will it'll drive them crazy. And mm-hmm. I, I struggle with this in comics all the time. Like, that's my day job, obviously, so I run into it a lot more. But one of my biggest pet peeves I have now and frustrations I have, specifically with with editors you see it the most, but it happens with writers as well, is there's just such an unwillingness to trust the reader. There's such an unwillingness to... Um, believe that the reader is smarter than a a dog trying to read a comic. (laughs) There's, (laughs) you know, there's, there's so, there's so much concern about, well, we have to have this character say this name in this moment right away. So everyone knows what the character's name is. Well, we have to make sure that, you know, we put this balloon here and, and, and break this or else, you know, they might read it in the wrong way or or whatever else. And it, it ends up stifling so much creativity. In some cases it makes it worse. Um, I don't know if that exactly translates to translates to cinema, but um, I, I think probably in a general sense, at the very least, yeah. Like if you if you're not trusting your I, was it um who did the sweet smell of success is it was it Preston Sergis? I'm trying to remember who who had this quote. Um, who did Ace in the Hole? Billy Wilder. It might have been Billy Wilder, um, where he said basically like. I'm paraphrasing here. It might not even be the right person. But if you can get your audience to to do the addition themselves uh, yeah. and come to the conclusion that you want them to, they are going to be yeah. so much more satisfied with that. Give than them you two and two,
1: and them. they will come up with four. That, yeah, that exactly. Thing, right? That's Hopefully, yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I talk I talk about that with comics uh, it, probably more often than I do with with movies. Where at, I'm at a point where I think. Uh, Less words are exciting to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Show it's a visual medium. Show me yeah. something. Don't. I'm sure. Write away.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I was gonna say I'm sure there are so many writers that have thought I'm just being lazy, uh, but when <laughs> when they ask for my opinion on sound effects, ninety percent of the time, if the art sells it, I'm gonna say I don't think yeah. you need any. Um, if if there's a doorbell ringing, a door knocking, something where the reader can't figure it out, sure, let's put a sound effect in there. But um, unless I can do something to add to the experience, odds are, if the art is selling it, it doesn't need my bullshit on top of it. <laughs> like, yeah. you you, you can put it together. You can imagine that that explosion has a sound without me having to write Kaboom for you.
2: But I think um, that, that comes into... Um... Maybe there's a misunderstanding of the services that you're rendering because you're not just giving your service as someone that will add the lettering. You're also giving your services as almost like an editor. Like, you need this, you don't need this. Oh, yeah, no, that's true too. But I was also going to
0: say a lot of them are just like, no, you're the letter. Put some sound effects in there. Oh, for sure. Boy. Yeah, but like you're the expert
2: in that field, so they sure. should. Yeah, they. I. I wouldn't say they should always defer, but certainly they should listen to what you have to say and. You and know, people's give it credit, the people's credit, I think that it deserves. Yeah, most of the time they do. Um,
0: yeah. I don't mean listen to me, but I just mean in that scenario, <laughs> it's it's hard to it's hard to argue that you should cover more of the art and do less or do more to try to piece together things for the reader. Most yeah. most writers aren't going to
2: be like, "No, no, no, I I I think we need to make this more complex." <laughs> well, like to bring it back so. to movies, it's like, you know, why would you hire a director of photography if you're going to micromanage all of the shots yep. yourself? Why would you yep. hire a a top-level sound designer if you're going to go into your garage and record all of the sound effects the way you want them? Like you you don't. So fucking don't. <laughs> Yeah, trust let people, people do, do their jobs. Yeah, and let the audience do their job, which is to either enjoy your comic book or enjoy your movie. And we mentioned Blade Runner a few weeks ago, but like that, famously had a couple of cuts because the uh, producers didn't trust audiences to be able to understand what was happening. And the director's cut is far and away the most enjoyable version of that film. I, I think, um... personally, but there we go. <laughs>
0: I, I, I have a, a very Gen Z millennial sort of transition into what we watched this week. Unless oh, there's yes. anything else on uh Okay. Um I watched a movie this week because of a TikTok. Um oh. <laughs> it's, a mo- it's a movie I had seen before. It's very Gen Z of you. <laughs> Uh, very density. Also, very topical.
2: There's congressional hearings or whatever happening right now about TikTok. Oh, did you see the um, glorious moment where that bloke got absolutely owned by the CEO of TikTok? Yeah, where he didn't understand how Wi Fi worked. I did why, see that. Why, why do you need to know? Uh, why do you need to capture someone's eye position? Well, I just told you it's for an app where we can have shades put on your face. So you kind of <laughs> need to know where the shades are going, dipshit. So, so I.
0: Uh, yeah, someone got me on TikTok a while ago, and um, it's it's curated enough now that I see a lot of stuff I like from stand-up comedy, from filmmaking, that I, I'm not addicted to it, but I, I get on there more than I ever thought I would in the past, hmm. and uh, so earlier this past week, I saw a TikTok um, that it was in a sort of meme format, and uh, at the top of the the video, the caption says, my girlfriend when she comes back from Bottomless Brunch. Um, and we're an international podcast bottomless brunch in case that's confusing for anyone is not when you don't wear clothes on your bottom half it is uh, bottomless <laughs> alcohol at brunch <laughs> so the the joke is the girlfriend is coming home drunk so you read that part and then the video underneath is a girl down in a cellar looking up at a guy and she goes come down here and let me suck your cock pretty boy and it was from the evil dead remake <laughs> Oh, nice! so i laughed at the meme <laughs> i was like that's pretty funny <laughs> Um, and then it reminded me that, yeah, I haven't watched Fede Alvarez's Evil Dead in a while and Evil Dead Rise comes out next month. Excited for that. Um, so yeah, Austin was over here. He had mentioned, uh, having not seen it since the theater. So we watched the, uh, I don't know what they technically call it. Extended cut, maybe, uh, kind of a director's cut, kind of not. It was originally only on a, on a Spanish Blu-ray and then eventually they released a new version of Evil Dead that had this cut on it not with a lot of fanfare. Um I looked up the differences, mostly it's violence. There's added the stuff that they had to cut for the MPAA. Um so longer shots of of kills and whatnot. And then <laughs> there's a mid-credit scene that's pretty bad and then there's a couple of lines in the movie that are are very funny and how they're delivered. But funny in a way that we both were like, that had to have been cut. (laughs) There's no way that was in the movie, uh, which was the case when I looked it up. Um, That all being said, real huge fan of this Evil Dead remake still. I think it's pretty awesome. Um, I think the last time I watched it was for the podcast. Early, early on, there was a Scream episode. You guys weren't on it. It was me and uh, Caleb Green. And we did, um, at least I don't think either of you were. I remember it just being me and him. Well, I wasn't. Um, I've definitely okay. seen the movie, but I don't remember if I was on the episode to talk about it. Okay. We talked about, obviously, the original and then the remake. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's got some cheesy acting and it. it's it, It's got little things here and there. You wouldn't look at it and be like, this is, you know, elevated horror. Not that any of us would say that anyway. Um, Only if we were but, taking the piss out of people that do. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, man, it's a, it's a great little horror movie. Um, yeah. It... It's it's a it's a sort of cool mix and blend of the different tones, but definitely heaviest toward the first one, which I'm all good with. The, the, the original Evil Dead is one of my top five favorite horror movies of all time. It's a big, big horror movie for me. Um, I like it more than Evil Dead 2, even though I love Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. I love all the movies, but the first Evil Dead for me is a, a big one. And the level of just intensity of of momentum there's there's way more uh you know just creatively and beautifully choreographed shots than the movie really needed uh in one of those great ways where you're like man you guys are really going out on all of these shots there's little tiny very subtle vibe like um moments little pockets of feeling like the other movies um, sometimes it might just be an over the shoulder shot of someone else and they vaguely look like ash, you know, stuff that's sub- as subtle as that. Hmm. Uh, and then just has maybe the most metal ending of a horror movie. Um, maybe ever it's, it's literally raining blood. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's very cool. I, I won't spoil all of it if people haven't seen it, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a good movie. I, I was really I was really into it. I, I think you guys like it as well, right? Yeah. That was yeah. my memory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely.
2: Um, I looked up okay. the episode just to confirm if I was on it or not, and I wasn't. The reason for it was because I was at Andy's wedding. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Good, good excuse. <laughs> yeah, I knew I wouldn't yeah, have missed it for geez. any any old reason. So. Um, <laughs> so that's why I wasn't so, yeah, on we... the episode. I should have, said, yeah, I should t- have t- mentioned that by the way.
0: Um, so yeah, we watched that and then he stayed over another night and that was when we watched father's day. Um, and then he, uh, we were kind of at that point in like, uh, let's watch another short of some type. So I had still not seen, um, any, almost any of that Gilman del Toro show cabinet of curiosities that came out, um, while back it was kind of in the middle of like a really low point for me depression wise and i I think i watched part of the first episode and liked it but it was it was just hard for me to get into anything at that at that time um so still haven't seen uh, almost all of it and austin showed me the uh panos uh episode um which i don't know if i don't even remember if you guys did it on the show have you guys watched those episodes
2: i watched the first three or four episodes i think um but I've not finished it I know for sure I I've, I've not finished the season Okay I haven't seen any Okay um <laughs> man it's cool it's crazy <laughs> So
0: it's it's real weird it's it's very funny uh definitely extremely moody atmospheric I mean if you like Mandy um there's going to be a lot of similar sort of you know color kind of drenched um, atmospheres and lighting and everything else, uh, definitely a lot, a lot funnier, intentionally funnier than than Mandy. There's moments of just straight up comedy. Eric Andre is one of the actors in it, um, but it's it's a real crazy, weird horror sci fi mashup that I think honestly is one of those that just the most fun and the best if you just watch it with no knowledge, which is how I saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, was into that. I think that's pretty much it for me this week i've been watching the john wick movies um you know those aren't aren't horror obviously um and depends playing elden ring it, it
2: well it's a horror movie depending on whether you're one of the people trying to take him out that's true <laughs> <laughs> depending on how you look at it that's true um
0: so that's it for me this week what about you dave
2: uh bugger all really i watched uh season three episode six of picard which i mentioned earlier um it's quite fitting that so close to easter that they crammed in so many easter eggs um so you know that's that's good um outside of that not really much of anything it's been again mainly youtube content that i've been uh watching um I did start to watch more Hajime no Ippo uh, because I mentioned Creed 3 and that reminded me that the second half of Hajime no Ippo was on. So I think I've watched maybe a a dozen or so episodes in the past week, probably more knowing me because, you know, timey-wimey shit. Uh, We lost an hour and somehow I found more hours to be able to uh, dedicate to watching anime. But that's pretty much it. Oh, no, there was one more thing. I do apologise. Um... So, I have mentioned before how sometimes to get off to sleep at night, I will just find an audiobook on youtube uh set the t v to power saving so that the screen turns off, but the speakers still uh output, and i'll just have an audiobook on in the background there's a YouTube channel that I have mentioned a couple of times before called the Late Late Horror Show, uh, which is uh pretty good at posting old sci-fi and horror um productions that radio stations put together and the one that i've been listening to and trying to finish but failing miserably because it does its job too well and i fall asleep is uh one called bbc science fiction old time radio shows number two um And uh, it starts with a radio production of The Midwich Cuckoos, which uh, most people will know as having been adapted as Village of the Damned uh, way back in the 60s, I think. Um, And then more recently there was an adaptation. I don't know who did it. It may have been a co-production between HBO and Sky or something like that, um, which was actually called The Midwich Cuckoos. And... um, it's pretty good so far, but I've literally only really managed to listen to the first 20 minutes without falling asleep <laughs> because <laughs> I'm an idiot. Um, but I'm probably going to get around to listening to the rest of that at some point. But the first 20 minutes are, p- are pretty good. Uh, good sound effects, good sound design. Uh, radio dramas can really live or die by their production design Um, and this is one of the good ones Uh, it's got some uh, some good kind of audio filters that they've used I don't know what year it was made I've not been able to find out but they've got some audio filters for like when people are talking over like the radio and things like that Um, they've got some good background effects and um, the voice acting is is really good Uh, very believable and keeps you invested in the show so yeah, I'll report back if I'm able to listen to more of it. But so far, everyone's pregnant, and that's as far as I've got. So, <laughs> <laughs> Andy, what about yourself?
1: So, Friday we went to see Scream 6 at the cinema.
2: Oh, nice. Nice.
1: After Scream 5, I was a little underwhelmed and said that I don't. I don't really want to see another one. And then, of course, they announced another one. (laughs) And (laughs) I thought, well, maybe this is the first Scream movie that I'm not going to see at the cinema. Uh, I was trying to think about if Scream is the only multi-part movie franchise where I've seen every movie at the cinema. But anyway, I have seen all the six movies at the cinema. Anyway, the first trailer came out. I liked the trailer, and then I thought, well, well maybe, maybe uh, I I, sh- I should really watch this one. So that I have seen all the three movies at the cinema, <laughs> and I heard good things about it, and so I was was more hopeful that I would enjoy this one. And I liked it better than five, definitely. I thought it was a pretty good movie. Oh, cool. Um, I yeah, I enjoyed it more. I uh, they I I really I enjoyed the characters. I think they made interesting choices with their story um the opening sequence i was immediately um engaged because of the the opening cameo <laughs> um and it was it is pretty brutal i thought the the, the kills were pretty gnarly i didn't really expect that i don't remember if they were as gnarly in in five um and yeah the 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 the, the Relationships between the the characters and the resolutions towards the end. I thought it's a, it's a really good scream movie. It does things that scream movies do, if you like them or not. <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I must say I, I I enjoyed this one. I think my main gripe after five was when they announced that they would do another one in only about a year's time. Yeah, I thought well. What are they going to be talking about when Scream movies are like meta-commentaries on on current movie trends or, or certain movie tropes and they did legacy sequels in, in Scream 5? What will they do in Scream 6? And I felt that this one was less meta-heavy than 5 was, which probably made me enjoy it more. And it's a it's a I believe it's a pretty good slasher movie with with some humor and interesting characters and nice set pieces and yeah, I I had no, no intention of rewatching five, but I think I will rewatch at least six in in the future. Yeah. Nice. One. yeah.
0: I wanna see it. I uh I watched five in preparation for it a week or two back and talked about it on the show and then <clears throat> uh, for whatever reason after I watched, even though I enjoyed my rewatch of five, after I watched five, I my interest in going to see the six one died. <laughs> I don't really know mm-hmm. why. Uh, so this um, this reignites that for me a little bit. I also uh, I will say I when I watched five, when the theater I was not familiar with, um, uh, Jasmine Savoy Brown who plays Mindy. So I was excited to see that she comes back in part six. And the reason I knew her now after watching five is because I finally watched the leftovers. Um, and she, she doesn't play a huge role on the leftovers, but, um, she's good on it and she's good in part five. Really? She's, I believe the like kind of main stew, uh, stew. Astuth- Wait, who's the, who's the Jamie Randy. Kennedy guy that knows all the she's- Randy. Yeah. She's Randy's uh, niece, I think. Right. Yeah. Um, so the yeah, having her come back, I was like, that's a good mm-hmm. idea. I also liked the two sisters and five, the two leads. Yeah. I thought they were good. Um, and the younger one is Wednesday,
1: Jennifer Adams. Hager, yeah, yeah, correct.
0: Is she okay? I still don't watch that show, so. But I thought she was cool. More excited to see it now.
1: All right, so is that it for you. Let's get to our main topic. All right, David, do you have? I think a Dave stepped away for a second. Oh,
0: again. Um. I I don't have a synopsis, but I was going to say I have bad news and good news and then bad news. Um,
1: (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) Interesting. The so bad should I news. Lead in news, uh, or do you want to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go. Yeah, let me let me go after. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Set it so, up. <laughs> right, So, um, let's pull up Wikipedia. A Page of Madness is a 1926 Japanese silent film directed by Tenosuke Kinugasa. I have not prepared these names. Tainosuke Kinugasa, I believe. Lost for 45 years until it was rediscovered by Kinugasa in his storehouse in 1971. The film is the product of an avant-garde group of artists in Japan known as the Shinkankakua or School of New Perceptions who tried to overcome naturalistic representation. So, <laughs> it says nothing about the plot, of course. Uh, Elio already mentioned in his email that he had to look up the plot um, on the internet as I did as well, because I was not prepared that this movie did not have any title cards, no inter of any sort. Um, Which is for the fact that when this movie came out, um, it was screened with a... What's the, uh, like a, a, a I had the, yeah, uh, sorry like to, uh, a Paper from was first screened in Tokyo on July 10th, 1926. Screenings would have included live narration by a storyteller or a as well as musical accompaniment. So, oh, I yeah. did not know that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which, of yeah, course, uh, makes sense, um, but... It I, makes sense is- but also there's
0: the, the cynical part of me right away is like you still have a movie at that point like if i <laughs> if i write a book and there's no words in it but you buy it and then you have to go somewhere public for someone to tell you the story like what are we doing like <laughs> i'm not saying that this isn't actually a movie it is although i have caveats but that is kind of <laughs> a strange thing to be like hey we made this piece of art but it's incomplete
1: so here's i mean I think at that point oh. it wasn't as uncommon as you would like to think and of course you okay. definitely you had no other choice to watch this movie than to go somewhere where they show it and there will be a storyteller who will tell you sure. something <laughs> about the movie so you can just <laughs> yeah. pop it on home, at home on YouTube as we did or as I did <laughs> well, yeah. and, and didn't know that there wouldn't be any any titles uh, and after 10 or 15 minutes we we thought all right let's let's read the wikipedia synopsis first maybe that will help us understand anything
0: <laughs> yeah yeah the um and and again i'm i'm being you know cynical and sarcastic or whatever i think the idea of that actually happening even in the modern day would be cool would be a cool experience to go to go see this film to have live um accompaniment with the music and having live um you know narration or whatever from a storyteller obviously it's going to be you know more structured and organized and creative than how I'm how I'm putting it which is that it's just a a, <laughs> a half completed piece of art that being all said it, it is another thing sort of like hackson for me where you kind of just have to go to a place of like well what are we going to talk about here cuz <laughs> it's it's a movie but there there are it's it's a very specific thing and at the the I'm glad that we had such a an in-depth discussion earlier for a few reasons one because it makes it a lot easier for me to say that this is REM for me <laughs> or not even <laughs> not even REM uh, it is it is Brian Eno or uh, uh, David Byrne and Brian you know some making something extra weird it's stuff that I can absolutely look at recognize is good it's 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 artistic Um even down to the techniques that they're doing stuff we haven't seen in any of the other silent films this month, you know, so it sets itself apart in that way, but interacting with it in any sort of traditional way that you would interact with other stuff is very difficult. Um, because like you, we've already mentioned, there are no zero title car, like interstitials words, anything, nothing. And, at all. nothing, <laughs> So if I'm going to put on some, like, noise rock or some experimental music, um, you know, there have been times where I've put on some headphones and sat there and been like, I'm just going to sink into this. But 99% of the time I'm listening to stuff like that, I'm on a hike, or I'm working, or I'm cleaning the house, or I'm just relaxing my head or whatever else. It, It serves a purpose. It has... You know, very specific ways that I interact with it. Page of Madness, I think, is the exact same way for me, um, where I, I can look at it and the aesthetic of it, um, the fast cutting, the the score, just the, the griminess of it. It has a it, at least the copy I watched. I don't know. I, I ended up getting a Blu-ray of it. It has a, a like a texture. And a, I don't know if that's because of the film Um, quality specifically of the time or differences in Japan or because it was in storage for 40 years. I have no idea, but it it has a a distinct look from the other movies right away. Um, Maybe because it's Japanese and and we're getting a lot of, you know, that cultural imagery, but it did tap into um, some of the nice, creepy atmospheric Japanese horror that I've, I've seen in the past or, um, you know, Junji Ito You know, using, you know, I I think it helps lend a lot to that right away. From a horror perspective, I struggled um, because I I think that this absolutely, if it was influential, I totally understand why. Um, It was harder for me to draw a more direct line with uh, as much as I was able to with our other movies, which I think were... Uh, with a, maybe the exception of the penalty, but Lon Chaney was the the connection there, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. Another one, sort of like Haxon, where I'm like, I don't really have a ton to talk about it. Like, I I could I could make the argument that I watched it. I could make the argument that I didn't. <laughs> like, it's it's just uh, I don't know. Someone help me,
1: Andy. <laughs> let me throw it to you this time (laughs) you are absolutely correct and watching the movie was I, i i picked all these movies watching the movie um at some point i thought this may have been not the right choice because i didn't research it enough but on the other hand wikipedia tells you that This movie was shown with a storyteller, but it does not tell you that there's no intertitles at all. So (laughs) I don't know if my research would have gone that far if I had researched it more Um, beforehand. But it is this is an unfair episode. It's unfair to the movie because we only saw... (laughs) the movie without the intended narration. We can read up on the plot on Wikipedia, depending on um, your language settings. You might read a longer synopsis or a shorter one. The German one doesn't give you as many details as the English one, for example. I don't know Mm. about other languages. And I was wondering how they even did know all these... um, uh, all these details. I don't know if there's any surviving like copies of the narration that they would have had, but then on the other hand, um, as it says on Wikipedia, let me pull it up uh, again quickly. Um, Yasunari Kawabata, who would win the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1968, was credited on the film with the original story. He is often cited as the screenwriter and a version of the scenario is printed in his complete works but the scenario is now considered a collaboration, collaboration between him, Kinugasa, Banko Sawada, and Minoru Inuzuka. So, I mean, that clears something up. There is <laughs> a, a written version or a printed version in in books because the guy who worked on the movie w- became one of Japan's most famous writers and first <laughs> Japanese writer to win the Nobel prize for, for literature. Um, so that that was very interesting. I would like to uh dig up a a version that I can read of um of what I don't know if it is a a, a like if it is script like or if it is a short story or whatever that they printed. But anyway, there there is a, a written version of that story somewhere. So that someone was able to um to write a synopsis either from that or there is surviving copies of the original narration which I don't know. But, yeah, anyway, it it is pretty unfair for us to judge this movie (laughs) if we didn't really see it the way that it would have originally been shown. Um, Because even reading the synopsis, both the the German one and the English one, on Wikipedia and then continuing watching the movie, I wasn't really able to. To make out what I had just read, <laughs> so no, uh, it, it, there's there's stuff about flashbacks and and fantasy sequences, and there's the the daughter and the mother. And at some point, I was able to make out the daughter and the mother, but still, I wasn't really sure. Okay, is is this a, is this supposed to be a flashback sequence now, or are we still in the same timeline? Or um, it it was not easy to follow the the story even having read the synopsis. There were great images, um, very interesting. I often thought about that comment uh, that David made with Hexan, that he would throw it on like at a Halloween party, just screen yeah. it silently, yeah. um, project it to a wall or whatever as like a, a moving wallpaper. <laughs> uh, you could <laughs> definitely do that with that one. But not having the narration... Really doesn't give me the 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 proper position to really judge this movie in any way. Yeah. I, it it looked great. I absolutely believe that it is probably a, a very good movie if you have the narration with it. Um, but without the narration, just puzzling it together from Wikipedia synopses and and. It 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 was challenging, and so yeah, I I I I wouldn't really be able to to rate this movie in any way. I can. What was was your experience? (laughs) You hated it.
2: (laughs) I hated it. Ain't nobody scared. Uh, No, I didn't actually. Um, here's the weird thing. I was ready to tear this film a new one, and then you explained the whole thing about how there's meant to be like a narrator over the top of it, and that completely changed my perspective, and it sent me down a very, very deep but very quickly navigated rabbit hole because it reminded me of an awful lot of Japanese theatre that I've been aware of for a while but never been fortunate enough, or um, to be fair, I've had the opportunity because I've been in Tokyo plenty of times, as you know, Andy, and everyone knows...
1: we, we did see something on, on New Year's in Tokyo. We did see That's like a right. stage yeah. show, like a stage presentation at that shrine.
2: That's very true. I hadn't thought of that, even though it's one of my favorite memories of being in Tokyo is that New Year's <laughs> celebration. Um, so bear with me, because a lot of this is very quickly um, Googled and some of it is not going to be entirely accurate. But I am aware of a lot of this from watching. Um, there's, there's a TV channel that I've mentioned Quite a few times. Um, people may or may not be aware that I'm a bit of a Japanophile. And as a result, I do tend to kind of like enjoy looking into all of these things. Um, so there's a TV show, the name of which eludes me, but it's on a channel called NHK World. And it focuses on theater in Japan. They have a kabuki actor who uh, t- who hosts it alongside a like more traditional female TV presenter. Is that the um, Japanese stuff where they paint their faces white? That's bukaki, I think, not kabuki.
1: <laughs>
2: bukaki <laughs> is when other people paint your face white for you. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, I, I, I had to throw our stage fright joke in there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, kabuki is the like traditional kind of like you know faces painted uh, multi-person yeah. theater experience. Um, there is a, another type of theater in Japan which is called yose. Which is spoken word theatre, where you basically have a narrator with or without music um, on stage on his uh, you know, on on his knees, kind of kneeling and um, basically telling a story and taking several parts. and uh, It's it's very interesting watching it being performed because it's very ceremonial. It sounds very otherworldly, but it has that distinct Japanese style to it. Like there's I won't even dare to try and approximate the noises because I'll sound like a, a wolf having an orgasm. But um there's there's an awful lot of um kind of yours and, and things like that. Um but basically when that was mentioned that this film goes alongside the narrator telling the story, it immediately made me think of, of you'll say um and apparently, there are many different types, including one which is under the word ghost stories that 's called kaidan um but they also have uh narrative stories, which is kodan um emotional stories ninja banashi uh comic stories, rakugo I was aware of Rakugo because that 's the one that gets featured an awful lot it 's uh very very funny um but you kind of lose something in translation apparently so yeah um I can imagine if I was watching this film and I had someone narrating instead of the, uh, the the words being put up on plates that it would be a much more enjoyable experience. I wouldn't be as, anywhere near as lost as I ended up being watching the film because, as I mentioned earlier, there's so much of a story that you can tell with images but sometimes you do need the words just to specify and to nail down certain things. Um and so it ended up being a very general experience. What I will say about this film though is the first ten minutes are absolutely superb. Um the flash cuts, the, the rain, um like all of the the, the, the cutting between scenes that they were doing, it felt very chaotic. Um it made you feel quite um frantic and and kind of um un- it was unnerving in a way. And I think that's absolutely by design. When you find out that it's set in a in, in a, a hospital for the mentally unwell, um, didn't pick up any of the stuff about the um, the, the the groundsman or the the janitor uh, be, being uh, the uh, the husband of of the uh, the older woman that he keeps trying to take away, and and pretty much all of it was lost on me. I didn't know what was real, what wasn't. Um I did enjoy watching a little bit of pro wrestling sneak its way in there where he threw the doctor on the ground and started smashing him with a mop. Um But honestly, like most of this film was a a real mystery to me. And I, I wish that there was a version out there that had some kind of narration over it, or mm. at least some kind of subtitling for where the narration would be so that you yeah. could kind of follow along. And maybe that's something I I mean as you mentioned Andy we we don't know this movie was lost for years like 45 years or something like that it was yeah. um lost in a in a lockup or in a in a in a storage uh, shed or something um we don't know if any of the uh the narration w- that was written down would have survived um, i would imagine that if it had that it would have been presented in subtitle form or something like that but It's a shame. It's a a bit of a missed opportunity. And I I hope that that narration exists. And if it doesn't, then at the very least, I am aware from looking up details in preparation to this episode that um, the the guy that was uh, originally credited with being the screenwriter for the movie also did include a variation of this story in a collection of short stories that he published. Um yasunori kawabata who i believe was already mentioned earlier um so uh that would be somewhere where we could potentially go to find the plot and maybe there could be an approximation made of the narration but yeah it just it feels like a it, it's a real shame I, i've gone from being quite annoyed at this film to being quite sorry for it because there's so much going on here that i like the scene where the um the janitor opens the bars uh, of the the prison cell and they stay in place but also move out the way i was just mm-hmm. like that's a really cool effect um yeah. for 1926 but visually it's a cool effect regardless because it gets across so much like i'm opening your cage but you're still pr- imprisoned you know um yeah it's it's sad and I'm glad that we did have such a brilliant conversation about silent movies beforehand, because there really isn't much that we can say about the movie from a narrative point of view. We can talk about the visuals, we can talk about the effects, um, uh, but... but let us yeah. I'm sure it was uh, very ahead of
0: its time. In ter- I, I, I did think about what Japanese audiences would have thought in 1926 um i know it said it was an art collective right there there is a you know i i don't even know there's there's unanswered questions that we have here obviously but it makes me wonder what kind of crowd this would have played to would it have been um a more traditional crowd would it have been people who would have been more in the know if it was a more traditional crowd how would they have reacted Mm -hmm. i could see this being uh terrifying back then i could see it also being too too advanced to where it can't scare I, I also wondered about um for the time obviously i also wondered too about um when the influence actually was if it was shown in the 20s and then was lost for almost 50 years was the it was the influence extending from its original uh screening or did the influence come in in the 70s um, and in the 80s with you know revival screenings or, or whatever else um i i don't know maybe both i have no idea but The whole the whole thing is is pretty fascinating, like how it all pieces together. And there's obviously enough there, like we've already said, with the visuals to tell, you know, okay, this is this isn't just some bullshit that people like dash together. (laughs) Like this is there's there's something going on here. Um, But then, yeah, like you guys have already pointed out, um, having kind of a sort of, you know, partial experience makes it makes it tough. But even just looking at the other movies we did this month. Um, it, what we can interact with and what we can view and talk about extremely different than the other stuff we've done. Mm.
2: It's, I, I find it really interesting that Japanese cinema as a whole appears to have followed the same route as this movie in that it completely does away with subtitles or title cards and instead it feels like an evolution of Japanese storytelling um, where you would have the narrator in attendance, telling the story, you know, like oral history, that kind of thing. But yeah. it has that same weakness that all oral history has always had, which is if nobody writes it down, then it's not going to survive. And even if you do write it down, you have to take care of it because it's very vulnerable. Um So, yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of like learning now that uh, the actual name for – and you may have mentioned this because I had to step away for five minutes um, while we were introducing the film – the, the name of the, uh, the storyteller in a silent movie in, in Japan was a benshi, um, also uh, referred to as um, uh, a katsudo benshi or a katsuben. So they had their own specific uh, name for... I'm these. glad you clarified that, Dave. 'Cause when Andy
0: said that earlier, I thought he said banshee and I didn't
2: ask. Oh okay. I was just like, Maybe this is a thing. <laughs> banshee. Okay. okay. Yeah, so, so that's all the information then fine. Okay, okay no, that's cool. Um Well it is to me just because I misunderstood, but I right, okay. said it correctly. <laughs> but um yeah, I, I think it's it's really cool that you know, knowing this and looking at the movie, it, it does feel like the next evolution of specifically Japanese storytelling but it, right. it is vulnerable mm. to the problems that we've experienced today, which is that if you don't have that story to hand and you can't find a way to include it, as as they couldn't when it was played to American audiences in the 70s, um, you, you're going to end up coming away with a partial experience. And although I don't dispute that it had the effects on these critics that I'm reading um, the reviews of now... um. I do wonder if they're maybe just kind of blowing smoke a little bit on a film that they imagine may have been better with. Do you, I, I don't. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like Dennis Schwartz, mm. right? He he says it's a vibrant and unsettling work of great emotional power. Well, yeah, you do get that from the images, but you would get it more if you actually had the story along with it. I, I don't know. I don't know. And that's the
1: thing, because Wikipedia also mentions that there were screenings as recent as as 2018. And I'm wondering, are those screenings with a narrator? And have those critics seen maybe a screening with a narrator and Mm. were able to really um, talk about the the full experience with the movie? Or were they in the same position that we were in, where they only had a synopsis and then the
2: movie? I mean, perhaps. There's
1: very... I mean if we did more research maybe the information is out there we just don't have the information at this point but you talking about the um, the, the the narrator in, in, in theater and, and with this movie made me remember that <laughs> I actually um in when we went to the the manga museum in Kyoto we saw a performance there um, of like a traditional storyteller mm. um where and, and that is something that other countries may have had as well I'm not entirely sure but definitely in Japan in 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 the olden days um there were these storytellers that I don't know if they traveled from from town to town or whatever but they they told um that they had these like like plates, these pictures where where the, it, it is a a story told in pictures. It, they weren't moving pictures yet. They just showed one picture after another and told the story. So they they had the, the 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 picture and they made the voices and the characters and the story and everything and and in front of an audience. And at the manga museum in, in Kyoto, they they do that at a certain um time during the day it, m- mostly for kids but of course there were adults there as well and 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 that is basically probably the the tradition that then the the movie storyteller also grew out of but I'm again mm. something that I should look into it more but I'm pretty certain that the the movie storyteller isn't something that um was specific to Japan I'm pretty sure other yeah. Um, regions of the world did that as well
2: It wouldn't surprise me because there's two ways to go about it, you can, it's the written word or the spoken word um, and you know, if someone's really brave then they can just get rid of the words altogether and <laughs> try to make a, a go of it um, I mean, if What you're talking about it it might be what this is Shadow Theatre, I've, I've seen it before where they will um, either have um, still images or they'll have Puppets that um, they they cast shadows on the screen behind the storyteller, and it's the same kind of idea. It's like they they act it out almost like Punch and Judy, but not quite Punch and Judy. And they'll they'll tell the story as as the puppets kind of act it out. And it, it's just it's that slow evolution, isn't it, from just spoken word to having puppets to approximate what was going on in the story to then having people on screen uh acting it out. Um and then eventually uh they uh they, they hit on the ultimate in realism, men in giant foam rubber costumes pretending to be Godzilla. Um and that's that's really where Japanese cinema took off.
1: <laughs> I did a quick research because I had some some vague memory of a movie that specifically is about like such a, uh, a movie narrator and it's actually a German movie from 1993 s- starring Armin Müller-Stahl um, based on a on a German novel so uh, and it is about a a, a yeah um, movie narrator in the 1930s in, in Germany um, that oh, basically did the same thing that we just described for A Page of Madness that uh, narrated silent movies so very far from japan <laughs> mm. yeah
2: i suppose if you're gonna have live music then the the next thing is well why don't we just have people you know they they didn't have the technology at that point to have the the sound on the movie so why not have the sound for everyone kind of live um it would have been cheaper to to have it uh on screen though wouldn't it i suppose that's the that's where people would have to make their decision. Do we do we want to? I need to go back actualism?
0: and look at the <clears throat> the Blu-ray that I got because it was from it was from a, a distributor like label whatever I'd never heard of. It was packaged with another silent film called Portrait of a Young Man or something, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I, I'm just surprised that for all of the like academic, intellectual packaging um, and sort of highbrow aesthetic they have that not a single fucking thing told me that there was not narration (laughs) that there should have been. Like you'd think that that would be like criterion would have that text printed out that you could click on, you know, something to kind of explain. So uh, I need to go, I'll I'll go back and look at the Blu-ray and see if there was anything buried in there that I didn't notice. Um, Because yeah, that's, it's a strange, it's a strange move. It's cool. I mean, it's cool to have this, you know, this thing that we can view, but Hmm. yeah, we've said it a million times. It's... It's a, it's so a sort of broken...
2: It's it's yeah. risky when you have... Like uh, many, many silent movies, several that we've talked about, have a soundtrack added to them for presentation. And you, you'd kind of think that if it was a movie that was originally presented with somebody telling the story live and in person that they might think to include something to cover that aspect as well. You would think. (laughs) But, you know, again, we don't know. Like, I I just found a a random print on YouTube and watched that. I don't know. Maybe there is a print out there where they've added it. But I I don't know. I don't know. The thing is, even the Wikipedia article itself, it specifically mentions the narrator in the initial release portion. But then when it talks about 21st century screenings, there is no mention of a narrator at all. It literally just talks about where it was screened. Yeah. And I, I don't know if they're just assuming that people would just kind of like, you know, receive wisdom. Oh, okay. So yeah, what you've talked about before, like they would have had again in the 21st century screenings. Gonna have to look into it. Probably won't. I'm I'm lazy that way. Uh, <laughs> but visually, it's have... a really good movie, actually. I know, it's, it's frustrating.
0: Weirdly, for something that we're like, so sort of held back through discussing because of the limitations. I did have a double feature pick that I'm proud of. I don't oh, want to skip nice. to it if you guys have more to say, though.
2: No, I ran out a long time ago. I'm proud of mine as well.
1: <laughs> okay, cool. Um, yeah.
0: At first, purely going off of of, of the atmosphere, the sort of, um, you know, the, the darker sort of elements and everything else, it, it made me feel how I felt playing... This is not my pick, but it made me feel how I felt playing um fatal frame in the middle of the night on ps2 when i was probably 13 14 um which fatal frame dave i'm sure you know it oh, I is do. A, a video game series where you i've only played a couple of them i i don't know how many there are now but i think typically it's usually the same mechanic right you're yeah uh, a young japanese girl in a in a village that's like haunted or was haunted and you have a camera. And you're documenting stuff and ultimately when stuff starts happening, supernatural shenanigans, that is your way of defense as well. So it's like a survival horror kind of thing, but very big on atmosphere Um, that that's kind of the entire thing. So that was my first thought. But then the more I looked at it and the more I thought about, um, obviously, we talked about uh, the original um, uh, story. Um, being done by Kawabata's name and going on with you know the Nobel Prize and everything else, I wanted to go with something that would be psychological horror, but a little bit more in-depth. We mentioned um, uh, Junji Ito already. Uh, Junji Ito did an adaptation of the novel No Longer Human um, from 1948 by Osama Desai. Um On Wikipedia, it says it's considered Dazai's masterpiece and ranks as the second best-selling novel ever in Japan. Um, behind Natsumi Soseki's Kokoro, um, I haven't read the original book, but I've read the Junji Ito Junji Ito, uh, adaptation. It is absolutely psychological horror. It's not his normal brand of you know weird weird stuff happening and, and monsters and whatnot. Um, it's about a guy who feels like he's not an actual human in, inside. He's he's maybe kind of on the level of a sociopath, maybe, but. He has to sort of pretend to feel human, to fit in a different... It's very dark, very psychologically uh, heavy, upsetting, um, but deals with some of the similar themes and has a lot of the same sort of looks and vibes. And it's also an interesting book, too, if you look up the real-life story of Desai. um, He ended up committing suicide. Ito does a sort of meta-fictional, meta-narrative sort of thing um, where he... Almost talks about that happening from the perspective of the character, uh, which Desai originally um, uh, created, obviously. So, anyway, great, dense psychological horror dealing with madness and and um, you know feeling like you aren't human like the other people around you. Um, felt like kind of a good fit. So that's my pick. Even though it's not a movie, it's a big old chunky hardcover manga. <laughs> Uh, Andy, you said you're proud of yours. What you got?
1: Yeah. So I looked into Asylum horror movies, and the one that I came up with came out exactly 90 years after Triangle of Sadness in 2016. You mean a page of madness? What did I say? Triangle of Sadness. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm looking, that is, I have this piece of paper. Just in front of me, I, I think I mentioned that in the past, where I have listed all the movies, the the release dates for upcoming movies, and then there's a section for movies that I missed at the cinema. And Bianca <laughs> edits Triangle of Sadness, and it is exactly in my eyesight when I'm talking yeah. to the microphone. I look at that, and yeah, so <laughs> Page of Madness. So Page of Madness, uh, 1962, and then a movie with a. Fairly similar title, a cure for wellness. <laughs> in, oh yeah! Uh, in 2016, um, and I think those two titles would look nice on a on a billboard <laughs> together. Yeah, <it> would.
2: <laughs> cool, Dave. Dave. Well, I'm annoyed because about 30 seconds before you started talking, I finally settled on an answer and it was going to be a cure for wellness. Um, (laughs) So I guess I'm going to have to go for one of the other two uh, movies that kind of lodged into my head. And it was the same reasoning as you, Andy. I I was literally just looking for a horror movie set in an asylum or some kind of um, hospital setting where people can't get out. And so it was basically between either uh, Shutter Island or Gothica. And I ended up going for Shutter Island because of the whole unreliable narrator, not really uh, us as an audience, not knowing uh, whether what we were seeing was real or not until the end. And the fact that halfway through um, this uh, movie, A Page of Madness, i had no idea whether i was watching him actually beat up the doctor or whether it was uh in his head or what um um and so it, it's kind of a reverse version of shutter island because he starts off as a janitor and ends up going kind of insane whereas in shutter island spoilers for anyone that hasn't seen it he starts off insane and then <laughs> thinks that he's you yeah. Uh, yeah and then he goes insane again I don't know. It wasn't really well thought out. I was much happier with A Cure for Wellness, but um, (laughs) them's the breaks. There's no
1: rule that we can't pick the same movie. No, true. happened before.
2: True, but I didn't want people to think that I was just going to say, yeah, well, that was mine as well. So (laughs) I will do that one week. But, yeah, I I struggled. I really did struggle this week. Um, And and so I I ended up just... uh, Going down the, uh, the the setting route rather than the uh, themes and everything. Surprised that Mia Goff is in A Cure for Wellness. I thought I hadn't seen her in anything, but apparently I have. Yeah.
1: Wonderful, gentlemen. I am very happy with these four episodes. Thank you for indulging yeah. me with this idea. And I'm, I think we had a very nice like, dynamic from from episode to episode... Um, very yeah. wide array of of styles and countries and yeah uh, we know Elio watched all of them uh I, and from his letterbox, I know that he also watched uh Riders vampire or vampire recently so oh, nice he, 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 he's he 's ahead of us <laughs> yeah um so yeah uh if if there's anyone else uh who watched any of these movies or listened to these episodes, let us know what you thought about our silent movie discussions or even of the movies itself or your your input on the discussion that we had today that came out of Elio's question just on the way or or, or how to watch movies and how to talk about movies. I would be interested in um other people's opinions on, on this topic. So you know where to find us on social media and of course the um, email address Eerie international at gmail.com. We don't have a topic for next week yet. Um, I have a few ideas that I have yet to propose to the other two uh, folks on this um, podcast. Um, so we will let you know on our social media accounts what our next topic will be. And until then, uh, enjoy some movies uh, and then come back next week. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. This has been a production of fanoff.com.
2: And that's perfect.